Hi, you are listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. You will be hearing a sermon from Pastor Jared Aron. So without further ado, here he is. Hey, good morning, everybody. If you're newer to Harvest, my name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And Michelle, I just really appreciate you making the effort to be here with us today. We're just really glad you're here. I want to acknowledge my father-in-law and my wife's sister and her family are here all the way from Australia, so I'm just really glad they're here today, too. So today's Connection Sunday, uh, so soon there will be a sermon, and it will be a little shorter than normal. And after the sermon, we're going to have time to kind of connect at at the tables and just share for a little bit. But we want to break the ice first and do a little icebreaker. You know, growing up, I hated icebreakers, honestly. This is a very simple icebreaker. So we want everybody at the table to share. we got about five minutes to do this. The question basically is this. If you could get on a plane today and choose to go to one place in the world, where would you go? Simple question. So we got five minutes. We want everybody at the table to share. So you can't ramble for four minutes on this. You've got to share pretty quickly. So I'm going to let you guys go at it. And then Stan's going to get up here and do the scripture reading after five minutes. Go for it. Um, hello, everyone. Sorry to interrupt your conversations. I know that uh, you know, it's fun uh, just thinking about where to go. And uh, you know, it's being summer and everything, it's fun to travel. Uh, but let's, uh, let's turn to Genesis uh, chapter 16 for the scripture reading. So Genesis chapter 16. I'll be reading uh, the whole chapter for us. Now Sarai, Abram, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian servant, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You're responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my servant in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your servant is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said to Hagar, servant of Sarai, where, where have you come from and where are you going? I am running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, Go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant, and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord, who spoke to her, You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Berlohai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Barad. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named the, gave the name Ishmael to the son 
she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar born him Ishmael. The word of the Lord. Run, are we okay? Is this enough space? You want me to come closer to you? or Okay, just want to make sure. Let's uh, pray. God, we're so thankful for what you've already done uh, this morning. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to sing to you, uh, to cry out that you would be our vision. Um, God, I pray um, as we open up your word, God, that we would be able to see you now, uh, to see who you are and your holiness and the wonder, uh, your awesomeness, and to see your heart uh, for us. Uh, So God, I pray, um, God, that you just really be at work, that your Holy Spirit uh, would just be moving among us now. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. Well, in 1999, the hit movie Avatar came to the theaters. You guys remember that movie? That was a while back. Uh, The movie's about the battle for survival on the planet Pandora, uh, which is occupied by these cool-looking blue creatures called Navi people. And human beings come to Pandora to mine for a great resource. But the planet's environment is poisonous, So human minds must link into a human Navi um, hybrid body called an avatar. You guys tracking with me? If you've seen the movie, remember how it goes. And so the humans hook into this avatar, and they're able to explore the planet and connect with the Navi people. Jake Sully is the main character. He's one of the humans that hooks into the avatar And he eventually becomes one of the Navi people. And he falls in love with a Navi woman. And throughout the movie, there's this phrase that's used between the Navi. I see you. I see you. And the phrase is more than a greeting or acknowledging what's happening on the outside. It speaks to a deeper connection between two Navi And at the end of the movie, uh, Jake is about to die, and the Navi woman comes in and rescues her. The movie's been out for six years, so I don't feel bad ruining it for you if you haven't seen it already. And she saves his life, and they embrace, and you expect them to say, I love you, but they embrace and say the words, I see you. I see you are very powerful words. In this context, it's more than seeing what's on the surface, but it speaks to a deeper sense of being known, being visible to one another. This morning, as we look at the story of Hagar in Genesis 16, I want to talk about the importance of this phrase, I see you, and how it impacts us as the people of God. Uh, Stan read the scripture for us. Let me just give you, give you a brief recap of what's going on in Genesis 16. God has given Abraham and Sarah a promise that they will have an heir, which will lead to a great um, nation, many descendants. But after many years, the heir has not arrived. And Sarah is struggling with barrenness, and so they decide to take matters into their own hands. 
Sarah gives up her Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, in marriage to Abraham with the whole intent of producing a child. And Abraham doesn't seem to have any problem with this plan whatsoever. And Hagar gets pregnant, and things get complicated. Tension and distress in the relationship between Sarah and Hagar mounts. And Sarah can't take it any longer, and she begins to blame Abraham for what's going on. And Abraham, in a way, says, look, this isn't my problem. This is your problem. You have to deal with it. You've got to fix it. This story has echoes of to what happened to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. In the Garden, Eve takes the lead and takes matters into her own hands. Sarah does the same here. She bypasses the promise of God to take control of the situation. In the garden, Adam is passive and compliant, and Abraham, in a similar way, he avoids the situation. He wants out of the mess. And Hagar is the bitter victim in all this. Reading between the lines, her pregnancy is an opportunity for her to possibly flaunt and take a higher position in her relationship with Sarah, who can't conceive. And Sarah ends up mistreating Hagar, and Hagar flees the scene, and she's on her way back to Egypt. And that's when God steps in, and God says, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from, and where are you going? Remember the Garden of Eden? God says to Adam, Adam, where are you? And Hagar tells God, I'm running away from my mistress. And God's response is twofold. He begins with bringing conviction to Hagar. And he tells her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. That's probably the last thing that Hagar wanted to hear in that moment. Her escape was reasonable and understandable, but it wasn't part of the plan of God. God tells her to go back first, and then he clues her in on the plan. He gives her a promise about the baby in her womb and speaks to her what his name will be, what his plans are for this little boy. It's a very life-changing moment for Hagar. And then in verse 13, the text says, She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. I want to focus in on this verse for the rest of the message and talk about this idea of seeing. And about three exchanges in relationship of the phrase, I see you. The first exchange of I see you is from God to us. That God says to us, I see you. It's very clear in the text who Hagar is. She's an Egyptian servant to Sarah. Even God, when he addresses her, he says, Hagar, servant of Sarah. Her identity was completely wrapped up 
in her position as a servant. From a human perspective, she was from a lower class. In the world's eyes back then, many would classify her as a nobody. In her misery and distress, she flees the situation. And one would almost expect this would be the last time that we would hear of Hagar in the scripture. This would be the end of the story for her in the Bible. But this forgotten and troubled servant girl is not forgotten by the living God. The woman who was cast aside by Sarah is not cast aside by the God who is compassion. This nobody in the eyes of the world was not a nobody in the eyes of God. And in this overwhelming moment where Hagar encounters God, Hagar gives God a name. Many people throughout history have given names for God, not always good ones. This is the only time in the Old Testament where a human being gives a name to God, and it's recorded in Scripture. Everywhere else, God is revealing his name and his identity to people. And Hagar cries out to God in Hebrew, El Roi, El Roi. My Hebrew is very weak. It's been a long time. But El refers to God, and Roi is from the verb to see. In a moment of wonder and experiencing the awesomeness of God, Hagar declares, you are the God who sees me. You are the God of vision for everything, and yet you still see me. Our God is a God who sees. He sees the landscape of this world from one end to another. He sees every blade of grass and every grain of sand. He sees the depths of the ocean floor to the highest peak on the mountaintops. And God sees every single human being on this planet. He has seen every tear you have shed. He has seen every smile that has dawned your face. He sees the dreams that stir in your soul every single day. He sees the aches and pains of your physical body and the aches and pains of your heart. He is El Roy. He sees it all and he sees you. To you and I today, God is still saying, I see you. I know and understand the depths of who you are. I see you on the inside and the out. And you are not forgotten. You are noticed and known. You are not a nobody because there's nobody, there's no nobodies in the eyes of God. When you believe that God sees you and has eyes of compassion and love for you, it makes all the difference in your life. 
If you're struggling this morning to understand how God sees you, I want to encourage you to go to the Bible. This is part of the reason why we have Scripture. God speaks His Word over us. And specifically, Psalm 139. I think it's a great passage of Scripture if you're struggling in this area. And maybe this week to even go to Psalm 139. Just let the truth of God's Word soak over you. And I just want to read a few verses now for how God sees us. It says, My frame was not hidden from you, when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. God sees you. You need to know that and come to live out of that place of belief more and more. And yet, this isn't a one-way relationship. This is a two-way relationship between us and God. Not only does God see us, but he longs for us to see him. This is what happens in this moment for Hagar. She is overwhelmed by God as she sees him. So the second exchange is from us to God. For us to say to God, God, I see you. God, I see you. I want to go back to verse 13. Hagar says, you are the God who sees me. I have now seen the one who sees me. I've seen the one who sees me. I had a terrifying moment last Sunday morning. Uh, Yvonne was out of town with Joshua, and I was home alone with the two girls. And Jenna and I were having breakfast, and Becca was sleeping, and I heard a noise down the hallway. So I went to go check on Becca, and she was not in her bed. And so I looked in the bathroom, I looked in the other bedrooms, I couldn't find her. I went downstairs, Uh, she wasn't downstairs, went back upstairs, looked uh, in the closets, looked under the bed, went back downstairs, couldn't find her again. And you know, logically, like the first minute or so, I'm like, of course she's in the house, you know. But after five minutes of not finding your three-year-old daughter, like panic began to set in. And, I mean, Jen and I were running around the house yelling for Becca, and there was no response whatsoever. I was probably a couple minutes away from calling 911. I I don't know what I would have said to them. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, how am I going to explain this one to Yvonne? But there was one place I hadn't looked. Joshua got a new loft bed, and sure enough, She was hiding under the covers in Joshua's bed. This girl's three. Like, I am, like, preparing myself for what is ahead and just I don't know if I'm going to be able to handle this. It was a terrible game of hide-and-seek, at least for me. So why do I share this? I wonder if many of us are struggling 
with whether God is playing a terrible game of hide-and-seek with you. Maybe you wonder, does God really want to be seen? You feel like you're calling out to God time after time again, and you're just waiting for him to come out of his hiding spot. And I want to be very sensitive and compassionate if you are in that place and you're struggling with that. But I also want to remind us that Scripture speaks a very different story. and reminds us how many ways God has already revealed himself to us. I just want to throw out a few scriptures. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. In the created world and all that is visible to us, God has already revealed himself. I stepped up this morning outside and heard the birds singing. The birds are singing the glory of God. The created world has revealed God to us. And then Hebrews 1 tells us that Christ is a revelation of God's glory to us. It says, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. We have recorded scriptures that speaks of the life and teaching of Jesus and what he's done for us. Christ is a revelation to us of God's glory that God has seen through his son and what his son has done. And the final thing I just want to share is through the circumstances of our life. Acts 17 speaks to this. It says, The God who made the world and everything in it is Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations. They should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Listen to this. God did this that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Through creation, through Christ, through the circumstances of our lives, God has already put himself in a position to be seen and found by us. God does not have a revelation problem. But often we have a vision problem. God has revealed himself in so many ways that we can't fault him. And yet sometimes God does show up in a very personal way to reveal himself like he did with Hagar. We have no idea what Hagar's sense of God was up until this point. She could have lived her whole life not necessarily looking for God. But God shows up and makes himself seen to her. I think it's really important to note not only that Hagar sees God, 
but how she responds to God. She obeys God and she goes back to Sarah. You see, Hagar's vision of God calls her to see beyond herself and her circumstances and to see who God truly is. She sees a God who is good, a God who is marvelous, a God who is worthy of her obedience. This was a moment where Hagar encounters the majesty and holiness of our God in his glory. And really, this is the only way that we can see God is in his glory. If you're seeing or have come to believe in a God who is weak, disgruntled, powerless, compromised, vindictive, you are not really seeing God. Through Scripture, God has clearly revealed himself and his character, that he is a God who is holy. And when we see him, we'll be filled with awe. Hagar stood in awe and wonder of God in this moment as she saw God in his holiness. Again, I wonder how often we have a vision problem when it comes to seeing God as he truly is. One of the things you learn, hopefully still today in driver's ed, is the reality of a blind spot. You know, when you're driving, you can use your rearview mirrors to see a lot of what's happening behind you. But there is that window of space that you can't see in your mirrors. And you literally need to turn around to cover your blind spot. I think the problem is that many of us are content with a life of not seeing God. We have come to believe that there are other things worth our vision and our attention. We can get so focused on ourselves, our own plans, our own agenda, that we're driving along in life. And we forget that there is a king of the universe who is in charge of it all. And then we hit a moment of panic or trouble, and then we're scrambling and saying, God, where are you in this moment? I believe our obsession with ourselves has created a blind spot for us to be able to see God. I believe God is revealing himself all the time to us. But many of us aren't living lives centered on seeing God. And I think we have to get really honest with ourselves and humbly ask the questions, God, do I have a blind spot to you? God, am I so fixed on myself that I'm not able to see you? Am I so obsessed with my life agenda that I'm completely missing your agenda, God? These are honest questions to ask and prayers to pray when we're struggling to see God in our life. You know, God sees us. And I really believe God longs 
for us to see him. The last exchange I want to share about is the the importance of seeing one another in community. I really believe in community as the people of God, we are called to reflect the character of God to one another. That when we gather formally like this or informally, we would be people who see one another. We would help each other to see God. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I just want to remind you, the scripture says that the Holy Spirit dwells in you. One of the persons of the Trinitarian God has taken up residency in you. He lives in you. He wants to guide you and direct you in your life. And I believe one of the primary ways that we see one another is paying attention to the leading of the Holy Spirit in us and around each other. I've heard this termed as the gift of presence. Being able to be present to God and present to one another. We pay attention to the movement of the Holy Spirit and give the gift of presence to one another. I believe God works. And when we see God working, we will ultimately see him. It's a little theoretical, so I want to get a little practical and just offer up two things about seeing one another in community. The first thing is to see who someone is becoming. It's so easy to see people on the surface, but it requires paying attention to the Holy Spirit to see beyond the outside to what God is doing in someone's life. You know, during our wedding ceremony, we, uh, Yvonne, I love the song, If You Could See What I See by Jeff Moore. And can we get that slide up there, the next one? There's a classic picture of, of Jeff Moore that I couldn't resist putting up there. We just, we just really love the song, and my aunt and uncle sang it during our wedding ceremony. I would love to sing this for you, but I can't do that to you. I think service would end immediately after me singing. But here's the lyrics. If you could see what I see, that it treasures what you are. I know there are days when you feel so much less than ideal, wondering what I see in you. I think these lyrics speak a lot to our human relationships that often we lived with with a very skewed or broken vision of ourselves. It's like we're constantly holding up a distorted mirror in front of ourselves. And we need others to step in and remind us not only who we are, but beyond that to who we are becoming. I believe in community that the Holy Spirit will give you vision and a picture of, a window into how you can speak encouragement and call out in others what you see God doing. That's the type of community I want to be a part of. I want to talk about more than just sports and the weather and our jobs. But I want to be able to speak to my brother in Christ and say, this is what I see God doing in your life. This is moving beyond the surface to going to a deeper place of seeing 
one another in community. The second thing is to see beyond the circumstances to see God. If you and I, you and I were hanging out and we're at the art museum and we come upon this famous painting, Van Gogh's Starry Night, and we stop in front of it for a few minutes and you know are pondering deeply and I'm stroking my beard <laughs> and you think I'm about to open up my mouth and say something just profound. And I do open up my mouth. I begin to talk about the frame. I wonder what kind of material the frame is made of. I wonder if it's copper or bronze. You know, it looks like a pretty well-constructed frame. I think that would hold up over time. And on and on I ramble about the frame. And you would look at me and say, fool... Why are you so focused on the frame and not looking at that beautiful painting? And here's the thing. I think we often do this with the circumstances of our life. We get so fixated on the circumstances. Like that is the complete story of what's going on. And we go on and on about our situation that we completely miss the greater story of what God is doing, how God is revealing himself to us. And here's what I think this looks like in community. To not just see the frame, but to see the painting. I think we need courage to share our life together and to share our our situation, uh, maybe the harder places in our life, but then to go to the next step and ask the following questions. What do you think God is doing in the midst of this? What am I not seeing related to God in all this? Help me see the picture because I I think I'm just seeing the frame. We need one another's help to see God. In the midst of life that can get very messy and complicated, we get very blind to what God is doing. But I often believe we're missing God when we focus completely on the circumstances. I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful that we have a God who sees us. That God sees me. That I'm not unknown. I'm not a pawn in this whole thing. That I'm not forgotten. I'm not unnoticed. That has made a world of difference in my life. And I'm so thankful for the moments that I've gotten a glimpse of who God is. And I want to see him more. And I'll be the first to say, I can get so obsessed with myself. What's going on with me. And I want to turn away from the idolatry of self And ask God to allow me to see him more and more. And I also really believe I I need others' help on this journey. I need you to step into my life and to help me to see God. Because too often I'm staring at the frame. I'm a fool. 
And I don't see the greater picture what God is doing in this world and in my life. I need your help to be able to see God more and more. God is still El Roy. He is a God who sees everything. And he sees you. And my prayer for us is that God would give us vision more and more to see the one who sees us. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.